When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, I've got a funny line and none of you have heard it, so please laugh. Okay, Are you ready? Is yeah. that it? Is Are that we... the line? <laughs> yep. Time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Crowd's got its point. Wow. The fakes, the gods are with the gods. Round 20 retirements. Hug your loved ones. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. This is a place where we pay homage to the fans of the Oval Ball and try to appease the footy gods with offerings of omens. I'm Emma Race and I welcome, as always, my football-loving, leather-bound lady friends. How are you? Nicole Hayes. I am awesome. Thank you. Hello, Miss Alicia Sometimes. I'm pumped where it counts. (laughs) I don't want to know what that is. How are you, Lucy? I'm great. Doing better than the Scaramoochie. Oh, the Mooch, exactly. You love the Mooch, don't you, Dr. Kate Sia? Love the Mooch. Such a travesty and a tragedy to see him go. Mm. The Mooch is in the, the ins and outs at the White House. And just quicker than the Crazy. boundary. How are you, Felicity? I'm good. I'm not leather bound, though. That I don't sounded know. really interesting for what we'd be wearing to a podcast. <laughs> I really thought I, no one would notice that. No, I said no, that. it didn't <laughs> escape me. I'm, I'm dressed as a dominatrix, so is that what that is? Yeah, right. So, Catwoman, do you want to start off with you <laughs> this week? Um, are we kicking it? Oh, we're kicking it off with Omen Watch. I think I've got an Omen. No, I think I've got an Omen Watch to kick it off. It's been sent in, as Lucy said last week. The beauty of Omen Watch is that we actually just rest on our laurels and other people sending them in. This is a brilliant one. This came from JC, who Julia. Who filled in for Felicity and Kate two weeks ago, and she sent us this awesome vision. And the Western Bulldogs had put it on their Instagram and on their uh, website as well, I think. And it was basically, it was Lockie Hunter's goal from last weekend, and it was comparing it with a Chris Grant goal from 2000, which was the only game mm. that Essendon. So it's the Western Bulldogs playing Essendon, and that was the only game that Essendon had lost in that 2000 season. Anyway, so it's basically two people going for goals. So it's Chris Grant from 2000 and Lockie Hunter from last week. Same pocket, same end of the ground, same foot, same opponent. Same weekend, same result. <gasps> How does she know that? Well, she knew it in advance. That would be really impressive. <laughs> yeah, then I'd be impressed. It's really, that's really exciting, wow. isn't it? Was it like, I haven't seen it, but it, was it like a synchronised dive competition? If you like, like if you overlay them, do oh, they have the same run up? Yeah, because that would impress the same. Me. And at the same time, because they do the run around, because it's from the boundary. So mm-hmm. you go, what's he going to do? And they both do the exact same thing. Wow. Who noted, like who watches football and goes, 
I've seen that before. I'm just oh, going to go back to the copyright. Can you trademark yeah. the moves? Because like some of them are That's really particular. I call think they should. Shots. Call your shots. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> right pocket. It's yeah. Pink ball. Well, do you know if you grow up and you grow up um, trying to copy those moments from the game in the backyard, and then eventually you end up playing? Well, maybe oh. that's you. I've seen this before. I know what to do here. That's no. a buddy. That's, yeah, that's a, amazing. That's do we have any other omen watches, or are we skipping straight to commentary watch or stupid watch? Can I? <laughs> All of which are huge segments. Can I just say something about superstitions, mm-hmm. which is kind of about omens in a sense? So I was driving home the other day and I pulled into the servo, needed desperately, needed a bottle of water, and I went into the <laughs> Love your fridge. Yeah. It's important to set the scene, yeah. you know, Thanks. to build the kind of excitement. She's starting in the back line. So excited. <laughs> I came off off the halfback (laughs) flank and then into the service station. I opened the fridge and I I went to get a bottle of water and they had that brand of water, which we've talked about on this podcast before. You know the one that at the moment on the brand of water they have the names of different teams, Mm, Hawks, Magpies, Mm. etc. I went in. I was so parched and I reached in and the only available team was the Tigers, who we play this weekend, Hawthorne plays this weekend. Uh And I thought to myself, I can't get that because I'll just have cursed us you know it's like when sometimes I go to a vending machine if I'm ordering if I'm like getting a bottle of water I'll always pick number 15 for Hodgie or yeah fair enough you know that yep. sort of thing or whoever yeah. I want to play particularly in the final season I, mm. I always mm. get number 15 from the vending machine as a kind of what are you um, going to do next year? What message are you going to do this week? <laughs> oh, well, look, it, de- it depends also to who I want to play well. Sometimes I oh, might pick number yeah, nine and we'll have a good game. I like game. that it's flexible. I know, but does it mm. depend at all on what you actually want to drink? Like, or do you <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, no, irrelevant. sometimes it's like, well, I've got to get a Coke, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Shields uh, needs a kick in a key I'm actually go in. thirsty in yes. for the Hawks. Yeah, 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 because I thought I can't do this. Then then last night I was re-watching the Hawthorne-Sydney game from Friday night and I noticed at a certain point in time that Clarko was drinking that certain brand of water and I rewound it and I paused and I thought better have a Hawks bottle because what a sign it would be if your coach was drinking from an, another team's oh. and him and then I noticed all of the assistant coaches had the Hawks. Thank yes. As but, you know, I think well this is something Clark, we should okay. keep an eye on. Mm. If your mm. coach is in the, the box and doesn't, isn't drinking from your team's water, mm. you're doomed. That's bottle watch. Bottle. What do they have, cooties? Bottle watch. Bottle watch. <laughs> I mean, well, they're no, not no, sharing no, the same cosmic, bottle. Well, they've got one each. It's a cosmic... <laughs> thing. Right. right. I hear you. You know, it's that apocalypsia we've talked about But before. the answer is yes. If you're drinking out of a Collingwood bottle, it has cooties. <laughs> oh, poor I said it. What? What have you got, Lucy Well, Grace? I'll tell you what I saw watching that. Well, what I heard watching that Hawthorne Swans game the other night, just before the game kicked off, and I can't work out who it was. I think it was Mr. Carey called Jared Roughhead, Jordan Roughhead. Oh. <gasps> Made me wild. Made me wild. Fair enough. But if, um, if we want to do a quick commentary watch... Bruce pulled out one of our favourites last week. He's got a long leg, Ruffy. <laughs> oh. He does. He's got two he of them. Ruffy. Yes, I've been accumulating a few commentary watches, so I wonder if I can share them. Some are better than others, but... Um, it's never stopped you in the past. It's never stopped me in the past, you know. That's right. Settle in, ladies. Settle in. <laughs> Strap yourselves so you're in. driving out of the back line. <laughs> Strap yourselves yes. in, as, uh, yes. as Ross Lyon would say. Um, first of all, I want to thank... Kara, who's a listener, who who did message me the other day to let me know that she had been watching her team play. She's a Sydney supporter and noticed how often the commentators say something to the effect of, look at all the Sydney players at the ground level. And she asks, 
Is there another level on which the play, is that? Are yeah. they playing on the first floor? The Some of them, level. the mezzanine, the highest, highest point. point, the mezzanine. Um, I, a bit like a long leg. I I love when commentators say that somebody's playing tall. And I yeah, have this yeah, image yeah. of the kind of Inspector tall. Gadget situation <laughs> go, where go, they just go-go gadget. gadget arms, mm. which actually Dustin Fletcher was always kind of go-go gadget arms, a bit mm. like Ganesh or something. But playing How many tall, arms does he have? 12 or 15 yeah, okay. or something. And a trunk. Yeah, that's right. It's a Ganesh, right? Yeah. yeah. I was Because I was just in India. Did I mention that? Yeah. I think I did. Yeah. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> Everywhere I looked, there were Ganesh statues and so on, and I just couldn't help but think of Dustin Fletcher. Um, obviously. Obviously. He's um, everywhere. Everywhere. That red-headed elephant. Does anyone else feel a bit <laughs> uncomfortable snorting? Already. Okay, come on, come on. I've got so many to get yeah, through okay, here. Yeah, okay, quick, go on. Oh, Bloody hell. Does, does, does anyone feel a little bit uncomfortable when you hear the commentators say something like, He's just caressing the footy yep. yes. or no, caressing I the like kick. It. I mean uncomfortable in a way that could be, you know, yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, poetic. it's like Fifty Shades of Grey or something. Or my dad wrote a porno. You know, it's a bit yeah. like, oh, he's just caressed the footy. I miss Sandy Roberts because he used to say, he used to talk about his sprinkler system and so forth. He'd put what? some, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Wait, this time. Is that a euphemism? No. He oh, yeah. talked, he just, he just, stream of consciousness mm. would put it out there. I've got some quotes of Sandy Roberts. I'm going to bring in one. Please. Yeah. I'm looking forward I to I love that. this stuff. Mm. And then the last one is, you know when they say that someone has lost the handle on the footy? Oh, as if like the footy has a handle. Really like, is it, it's got a little handle it on it. You can handle. carry it around. It would be easier. Although it easier. Bounce so well, I imagine. Be no, true. to bounce. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'd just like say to bounce. Say that. I couldn't hear you. Yeah, listen to me. I would like to have a handle and then you, that's where you push down to learn how to bounce. Oh, that's true. It would mm. make it easier. Great, a training, a little training footy. It's like a th- yeah, it's like a trike, a three wheeled trike you can that you try start it off on with Sunday, a maybe. footy yeah, with a handle. Exactly, that's a good idea. Um, is that the segment? <laughs> the segment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that really oh, look, I never promised <laughs> that it would be no, like, did any no, chop. <laughs> no, you didn't talk it up at all. Hey, some massive outs this week with retirements a go go. Um, there was tears from everyone. Me mostly. <laughs> People were really upset about Nick Rewalt saying farewell to the game. But wasn't it lovely that he said that he's not afraid of what's coming next in footy? That he's, you know, mm. he's, he feels ready to go and he's made some plans and he's ready to move on. And I heard Sam Mitchell say the same thing last night on 360, saying that from the outset of this season, he, he was already starting to think like a coach and starting to move through. So mm. I thought that was really, um, really interesting. Do you feel like... Every year, the retirement announcements are happening earlier. Like I feel like we've gone earlier. Yeah, there's something going on. There's some some huge names this year. I mean, we're losing um, Scott Thompson, Sam Mitchell, Matt Prittis, Nick Rewalt, Luke Hodge, and I just I was just looking at those those five players when you put them all together. Did you do some maths? I did. I I did. I used a calculator. Did you check? Oh, good. You're looking at at today. You're looking at fourteen hundred and ninety nine games. Um, 1,207 goals between them. Wow. wow. Um, 16 best and fairest, eight premierships. We know which two players got four of them each. Um, <laughs> 20, oh. 20 seasons as captain um, between wow. them. That's I mean, amazing. it's extraordinary. Two Brownlows. Um, so it's, How many drink driving charges? Um, <laughs> we know who brought them. We know them. at least was one. Oh, Nicole Hayes. <laughs> that was good. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> but it, it's huge. It's, it's a huge amount of experience to go out of the game all at once. And, you know, I guess every year we go, oh, you know, it's um, a huge loss and, and it, it does happen every year. There's always big names. But th- this seems 
I mean, you know, Scott Thompson and Matt Prittis have had huge careers and, you know, Nick Rewalt, amazing, amazing. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. What you don't have on that list, Felicity, is that there are also a few, I think at least four of them actually have lookalikes. As you all know, we I have a bit of a penchant for, or a bit of a fascination with putting together lookalikes with footy players. There are four lookalikes. There's Sam Mitchell and Barney Rubble, which you I think is yours, this, Emma. This, to be fair, this is not a visual medium. Yeah, you are aware that so this is no, no. Podcast. I'll tweet. I'll tweet this out. Okay, I'll tweet great. this out. Okay. But Sam Mitchell Barney and is, Barney, Barney Rubble, mm. um, Matt Prinnis, and look, any number of people you can go with the greatest, greatest American, American hero, <laughs> <laughs> the dude from um, Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, like Shirley Temple. I mean, any. <laughs> So you just named my two hot guys when I was a teenager. I love Christopher Aitken, yeah. and um, yeah, mm. Christopher Aitken, yeah, and then of course some um, Nick Rewalt and that llama, which yeah, I'll tweet out tweet as well. Tweet that out later, Alicia. There's ner- nary a milestone passes <laughs> without some kind of spoken word. <laughs> Have you got something for us today? I, I, I was going to write a haiku, but 17 syllables is not enough for Sam Mitchell, so I wrote about 42. Great, Sam Mitch. Smitch, Smitchy, Mitch, Samichi, Extractor Mitch, Sammy, Sam plus me, Smee, <laughs> Smitchy, Gangster Mitch, Twiggy, Fly High, my little hawk, Fly High, baby eagle, Fly High, my big bird, Fly High. Yes, Nicole. Uh, I like the literary theme. I thought I'd celebrate Ross Lyons' contribution. (laughs) What'd he do? He tweeted. What? I know, right? It's huge. So just to recap on his literary contribution via Twitter so far, we have February 13, the very enticing Watch This Space. February 2013 too, isn't it? February 2013. Yes. Is that not what I said? No, you said February 13 and I just wanted oh, to make clear to our listeners that yes, that means four years ago. he started tweeting four years That's ago. Right. Yeah. It took him a little while to come back from that because it was fairly that was a big uh, profound. It was. So in March 2016, who could forget the strap yourselves in? Uh, our <laughs> yeah. favourite. Followed by the twenty uh, second of December two thousand and sixteen, ho ho ho, Merry Rixmas, <laughs> everyone, replete with a photo with, of Ross in a Santa hat, very special, yeah. And the crowning glory two days ago, great player, even better person. Hashtag thanks, Rui. So mm. he doesn't it bring his thumbs out for just anybody. No. It says a lot about. He's kept his powder dry there, hasn't he? He, he has. has. Really How has. would you feel if you were one of the many other players, though, that he, he coached? Knows. He's got nothing. So He's got his favourite. But I think it's actually just bumped up the accolades for Nick Rewalt mm. that he is the player. He is the one player to get his thumbs to out. To get mm. yeah, the fourth yeah. tweet. Rui should have been on Felicity's list. Because you would imagine a few of Ross Lyon's own players may have retired over the year. <laughs> like yeah. Pavlich. Yeah, know. exactly. Hey, um, I don't want to talk about Hawthorne stuff too much, but I am very fond of Sam Mitchell. Really? And <laughs> for anyone who's been listening to this podcast for more than six weeks, you would know that my love for Sam Mitchell elicits all sorts of things. Lots of tears when he announced that he was leaving Hawthorne and I did sit on the couch and cry last night watching him on 360. But one thing that I just wanted to talk about is that when I tell people that I love Sam Mitchell, it elicits a lot of responses. Lots of people don't love Sam Mitchell, so people say, why him? Why would you love him? But one thing that I've found as a footy fan over the journey of my life is that when I say I love football, 
which I'm very happy to do. Lots of people misinterpret that and think that I'm saying I love footballers. Like people Mm -hmm. say, oh, do you? Yeah, because they're hot. Because you like them because they're no, hot or because they're short. Yeah. And I have to say, we've never really addressed this on the pod before, but being all female footy fans, it's something that people always attribute to being the core mm. of your love mm. for the game mm. is that it's some kind of perv factor. And it's funny, I. I actually sat down last night to think about why that is not the case. I Mm. have no interest in dating a footballer or even I don't pine after them. They don't make me feel in my underpants the way I feel when I watch Ryan Gosling movie. Like it's (laughs) nothing like that. And I was thinking, how can I explain why I love Sam Mitchell? And I think... What I love about Sam Mitchell is, for me, watching him play is like listening to Nina Simone or the way I feel when I watch Beyonce own it on stage. I think specifically this footballer has meant a lot to me because he was a battler and he was tough and unlikable at times and really polarising and kind of all of the things that I feel I can't be in my real life and where art and sport, I think... Um, can take you away and can be escapist. Sam Mitchell, for me, has been all of the parts of myself that I would dream to have but I don't have because they are unsociable or unlikable or just too hard and just too tough. I have loved watching him look into the eye of Mordor in those massive (laughs) pressure moments, turn a game and laugh about it. And that is something that is completely outside the realms of my abilities, that he is so teeny tiny but has been an absolute monster on the field. He looks out into the eyes of of Mordor. He does. And that is why I love him. That is why I will Mm. miss him so very much, whether he's playing for West Coast or playing for Hawthorne. But that is a female footy fan's love for a player. It's it's interesting because I think everybody, regardless of which team you go for, you know, most people have a player that they're drawn to for Mm. reasons like that. It kind of speaks to them in some way, to their core, or or that the person has a backstory that really moves them, or perhaps they've, you know done something heroic off field you know they have views or something that you really find admirable I, I, feel like I think most, most people feel that way yeah. about that's that's why most people were drawn to footy but players. it's brain and heart led not vagina led yeah. you know no, exactly. absolutely no. I rarely lead with and my vagina yeah well, it's just <laughs> so weird it it's just your ministry Put of funny back out as you well do. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Hey, um, I want to talk about Brownlow, best and fairest, should we lose fairest from the Brownlow? But before I do, I just want to address the fact that there was a huge article that came out about gambling this week and Hawthorne copped a bit of feedback about that. We really want to talk about gambling. We are starting to do our own investigations to be able to work out how we can talk about it and how we can package it. One thing that we were aware of is that on the front cover of The Age they used a logo for North Melbourne and they are not at all held up by any gambling money and we salute them for that. Mm -hmm. That is not an easy road to take. So we... We got a couple of um, messages and we are on to this yep. and it is a it it's sticks a in subject. our craw. It really yeah. does. Nicole Hayes is going to pull out her double soapbox soap for this one. Absolutely. Um, so we are on that, but we didn't have enough lead up time to mm. really have something to offer you today. So we will do that and we're on to it. So um, this week we saw Dangerfield has copped a suspension for Maddie Cruz's concussion tackle situation. It's been talked about ad nauseum, but why don't we have a quick discussion on, with the Brownlow rules, everyone's assuming he's going to be right up there polling on Brownlow night. 
where, where do you sit on this? Alicia, should should fairest be part of the Brownlow best and fairest? I absolutely think it should. And I think it's about the calibre of the footballer and it should be the whole package that we're looking at, not just um, the fact that it's not fair that someone amazing as uh, Danger Mouse is, that he <laughs> should have just any special leave or pass because he made a mistake. I think that should be taken into consideration and I don't think it should be changed. Does anyone have a counter? View to that, Nicole. No, uh, I, no, I, no, I don't really. I just, I think we, we keep forgetting it's fairest and best. It's mm-hmm. actually that's how it's worded, and that is the whole driving. I mean, in honour of Charles Brownlow, that was the whole driving message behind it. They've modified, they've tweaked. You know, over years, even if you were reported once, you didn't. Even if you were cleared, you you couldn't get the Brownlow, and then they retrospectively granted some. I think Hawthorne got our first Brownlow that way. So they've tweaked the rules, but I, I genuinely believe that if you've broken the rules in a way that, you know, includes injury for another player, I'm quite okay with you missing out that year. But what about when um, that was all before the point system and mm. before mm. carryovers and, you know, like sneezing on someone could get you reported, the, you know, could could see you rubbed out pretty much. Felicity, is this what you were going to say? No, I was going to say it, it's all so technical now, isn't it? Anyway, but I've, I've got a revolutionary idea for the Brownlow that I wanted to suggest. So, you know, when on Brownlow night, sometimes if your team's had a really good season, they end up taking votes off each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. What about an idea where <laughs> every club does their own best and fairest and then the best and fairest players all like compete off like Ninja Warrior for <laughs> the brown line. But they actually like have you, a winner. You an have, obstacle course. Yeah, unlike Ninja not Warrior. Actual, not an actual <laughs> obstacle course. But no, I you, think that would be great. What an actual <laughs> obstacle course. Well, the what if you just actually put like every club gets to determine who the fairest and best player of the club is? And then they all go up against each other and they decide who's the just, best over the league. Is there a grammar test? Yeah. Mm. Your and your, there know. and there. I just think it might Can open it up to more than just the midfielders because I this just, is what the Brownlow is. I just think yeah. it's, the, it's an imperfect system and what we keep forgetting is that the – I don't understand how it's developed this way, but the most distracted people on the field are the ones who get to vote at the end of the match. and that's So we're never going to get a perfect system exactly. while that's the basis. Yeah. Yes, Lucy? I completely agree with you, Nick, that I don't think we should change it. I think we change enough about the game that I think we need to, to keep the Brownlow as it is. And, and you know, we all understand that there's it's an imperfect system. I think the fact that there's been other awards that have come up, like the MVP yeah. awards, mm. um, actually awards, yeah. kind of covers off on some exactly. of those yeah. things that get missed. Yeah. You know, like I've got a huge issue that no one's talking about Alex Rance or a defender ever winning the Brownlow. Um, yeah. You know, hashtag speak for defenders. (laughs) (laughs) I think the fairest component is a kind of character component. It's a character test of sorts. And there are many other walks of life in which, and we've talked a little bit about this before, that you can't win an award or you can't be elevated to a particular position unless you pass a character test. And Do you have um, to be a citizen? Is that what you're saying? And you have to know Bradman's average as well. That's right. It's a bit like that. Do you mean a character from a novel? (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, what I mean is, for example, you can't be admitted to practice as a lawyer unless you pass a character test. You could get the best grades imaginable. You could be the ducks of your university or the valedictorian or whatever. But if you don't pass the character test, you don't get admitted to practice, right? So in, in a way, there was an analogy there for me with this award. Like, do we want to give the award to a person who might have knocked somebody out or whatever it might be. I think that's the question. And sometimes it's not only about that because of the way that the carryover point system works. But what was lost so much in this discussion this week for me was 
cruiser. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we we have a game where we're where the, the AFL repeatedly says that the head is sacrosanct and that we have to be much more conscious of injuries. There's a lot of information coming out of the states about concussion. I have no problem with it whatsoever mm. in that mm. sense because Cruiser was injured, you know, for players concussed or whatever it might be. I think we want to ensure that there are as many disincentives built into the game as Absolutely. possible to avoid that and having the Brownlow taken off somebody who does it is one way. One thing that's a huge issue for me is that in you start talking about this stuff in round 20 when something goes awry, you don't talk about it in round one. Mm, and exactly. so then that seems like an inconsistent weighting of the mm. the judge and jury. We were just talking to Jared Waitley over coffee. Can you believe I even just said that sentence? <laughs> and he was talking about his theory, which is that it's possible that Dangerfield will go on and poll votes in that game that he was reported in. So maybe you don't count those votes yeah. because then that becomes the penalty, I suppose. For, mm. and, and then maybe he doesn't have to sit out for the game, mm. or he's not he's not therefore ineligible for the um, for the Brownlow, which is maybe something to look at. It seems like a pretty reasonable suggestion. It, it does, but then it's a disincentive in a way because you could just you know a couple of rounds you have a you have, have a few, few knocks and yeah, it's no big. But yeah. it's also it, it penalises the person who may have polled the three votes. Yeah. So if you yeah. do you know what I mean? Like if you're disqualifying someone who's who's polled votes but then ultimately, you know, been rubbed out, the person who only got two votes should have got three votes. Mm. You know, so but right now they already oh, get so, so much paperwork with this. But also, you know, the person who misses, the <laughs> person who misses for concussion can't mm. poll in the next no, game no. or can't yeah. poll in that game yes. as well. So know. you know, we we never really talk about, you know, what I mean, we talk about what the physical cost is to people, but, you know, they, they miss games too. I, and I think also the thing that kept coming up was, you know, people were objecting to the to the penalty uh, because it's like a double jeopardy. And I just, because Danger now mm. won't get a brown low because of that one week or, you know, whether he was going to or not, but is ineligible. And I just think, apart from being irrelevant, the fact is that he's a high-level player. I mean, there's a double jeopardy for a player being suspended if they're on the cusp of you know, holding on to, to selection and they've got to fight their way back in. Or if you're near the end of your career and that might mean that your last kind of chance at playing. So, you know, there are high stakes for everyone, I guess is what I'm saying. So the idea of modifying that penalty based on those extra sanctions or those extra effects, I, I think that's crazy. I think so it could be applied anywhere. captain's cage fight. One thing, one thing <laughs> I heard this morning that I really didn't like was, and again, looking at it through the perspective of Cruiser, is I heard someone on radio saying, oh, and it looks like Cruiser's just even going to play this week. So was he even that bad? Oh. And I was like, oh, no, you can't do that. No. You can't go, oh, and now Cruiser gets to play and poor old Danger's sitting out. Like, that's not the way it works. You can't no. talk about it like that. But it is inconsistent and it's it doesn't that's always, true. it doesn't seem like the system is fair. That's what I think people are saying. Yeah. What about Will Langford kissing people? <laughs> are we okay? That seemed really out of character. For Will, I thought, like, he's, he's yeah. one out of the box. He's yeah. a bit of a cuckoo clock mm. in a beautiful way. Mm. Like, you never can really tell but, what he's going to do. I didn't think he would do that. Yeah, it was surprising to me. <laughs> it was surprising. And I rewound it and paused it and rewound it and paused it. I, I must say that my initial reaction was, that, to be honest, that it was hilarious. Mm. Hilarious. And I felt the same when Hodgie kissed Buddy in that grand final. And, in fact... That's my profile pic for you, Emma Race, on my phone. When it rings, it comes up with Hodgie kissing Buddy. I'm honoured. I know, it's a real privilege. But look, I actually then went away and thought about it a little bit more carefully. And um, a few weeks ago, we had my colleague from Monash Law School, Eric Windholtz, on, talking about assault on field, you know, when when, um, Ali Fahur had punched that player. And Eric talked about 
the fact that what matters most of all is that players, when they go on to a sporting field, consent to certain kinds of physical contact. What happens in the hustle and bustle of the game is sort of implied. You have, it's implied that you consent to that. But there are certain other things that you do not consent to or which there is no implied consent anyway. And I thought about what Will Langford did in that context. And it was interesting. When we rewatched the game last night, my partner, he said to me, and he doesn't have a law background or anything at all, and he said to me, well, my initial reaction is that it's kind of like a sexual assault, which oh. I found very surprising mm. that he had said that. That that was really interesting. I'm not, I'm not implying that, you know, that that's what it was or that that was Will Langford's intention, but it made me think a lot about where we draw the line and that, in a way, J- Jared McVeigh clearly didn't consent to that. He clearly didn't like it. And... Although it might seem pretty lighthearted and a bit funny, you know, what would we think if players were groping each other on the testicles, for example, in a tackle, you know, Mm. and really physically hurting somebody? Also, too, in rugby in years gone by, people will probably remember the case of John Hopawate, who Mm. um, had a kind of tendency on a number of occasions. It's really kind of gross, so I apologise to listeners for saying it, but that he did insert his finger into the anus of other players mm. on a few occasions. I never thought occasions. I'd hear that on this podcast. No. no, but he did. And he often said, oh, I just was trying to wedgie them. But other players gave evidence against him at the tribunal and said, no, it was very deliberate. Mm. Now, actually at law, that's a that's a, a rape. It's a mm. it, it could be constituted as a digital rape. And so players are clearly not consenting mm. to that. Mm. Um, so I just think about Will Langford in that context and I, I can see why mm. Jared mm. McVeigh might have found it inappropriate. And they don't seem to have a relationship where they that's have nice. that kind no, of collegial, like I think Hodge, that Hodge and Buddy, and Buddy yeah. have a relationship. Yeah. I actually think that they might have a tested relationship, Hodge and Buddy, after watching oh, the weekend. Watching that but, weekend um, yeah. but they have a relationship and that didn't seem to be an issue for them. But I can imagine, you know, when you talk about your partner saying, yeah, I, it's kind of weird, it's kind of as an affront to you, yeah. if if McVeigh has no relationship with Will Lankford, then it might be humiliating. It feels yeah, more it aggressive, doesn't feels... it? If they're if they're not actual mm. good friends, mm-hmm. it yeah. feels aggressive. Where I found um, that the debate went into a really interesting space was where people were talking about the fact that because McVeigh is a veteran of the game, that he's due a certain level of respect. Mm. Um, so there was this kind of discourse that Will Langford's a bit, you know, young and up and coming, and he should have shown more deference to McVeigh. And I found that to be a really That's weird. ridiculous mm. yeah. argument because. You know, you go to that, you extrapolate that and go, well, does that mean that we, you know, have certain players that we just say, well, we won't tackle you? Or, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just seemed, about seemed ridiculous. Yeah. And exactly. And then Noogies. I looked at it in terms of Kale Hooker, and I think um, what Will, Will Langford did was very, very similar to mm. what Kale Hooker's been doing with rubbing people on the head. And it's kind of a poke the bear kind of action, mm. it's, it's kind of passive aggressive. And, that's how I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you want to keep it in that area and not stray into it being some form of like overstepping thing, I think the only safe way to actually kiss another player is to insert a slice of ham in between <laughs> exactly. their mouth Because that's strategy. not going to piss anyone off. No, no. I think this that's is, how you do it. We should have a segment, so the fuck some shit up segment, because that's what people are doing by the noogies and the kissing <laughs> and the ham. And I can't hear about the ham again, please. No, the ham I'm a still don't know where he kept it. I still want to know. Nicole, you, um, you, you're a stickler for the rules. I like I like a rule. You like rule um, watch? I have ignored my American husband's complaints about this <laughs> for <laughs> pretty much since he landed in this fair land. The boundary line. 
it has a role, right? Yes. It has a boundary. It lies there, but it does a damn good job. And it's a line. And we all know what it looks like and what it's supposed to do. Yes. Except we don't. I don't think that we do. Because there are a couple of incidents. There have been lots of them, but I'll highlight two at the Hawthorne Swans match where my husband's outrage just peaked and and I had to agree with him. Oh, you've highlighted this. I've highlighted them. So Heath Grundy, I was very deep in the, in the final quarter, a minute and a, and a bit to go, and Heath Grundy was awarded a free kick for a throw. Um, he stood up outside the boundary because it was right on the boundary and was out, went to take his kick, stepped sideways, faked his kick, umpire calls play on, then faked a handball yeah, and then turned again. The he turned twice, two different directions after all of that outside the boundary without... And it was in a play on. It was out of... And it was mm. in play on. A second incident happened in the second quarter. Nick Smith this time marked inside the boundary, went off the field to take his kick and he took too long. So the umpire again called play on. This time Smith... He took six steps along the boundary outside. Grabbed some hot chips on the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> sip of a beer. And then did his kick. Now, both one of them ended up in a goal, like within a minute of that. So these are, this is a really big deal. Would he have been able to be tackled off field like that? Mm. I mean, this is all out, outside the boundary, outside the playing area. Play on's been called. How long are you allowed to stay out there and how far? And I do have the rules. Good call. I was going to say, I'm going to read you some rules in the school of Kate Sear and Lucy Race. (laughs) So, disposal from out of bounds. Legally blonde. (laughs) 16.5.1. When permitted. I thought you were going to say 16.5.1 seconds. (laughs) How long have got (laughs) to buy chips? Point A. A player who is awarded a free kick or a mark may bring the football into play from outside the playing surface beyond the boundary line provided that the player moves in one direction whilst in the act of kicking, handballing or moving to cross the boundary line. B. If a player who is awarded a free kick or a mark either disposes of or carries the football from outside the playing surface beyond the boundary line, the football shall be deemed to be out of bounds and the boundary (laughs) umpire shall throw the football back into play at the spot where the original free kick or mark took place. You need to write a letter. There's more about that, but that's the key stuff. That's a good point. I feel like I have a new nickname for you, which is Razor Ray Hayes. (laughs) Razor Ray Hayes. I love the judgment with which you read the ruling. Like it's not it's not an impartial (laughs) reading. Some anger. Some anger. I highlighted certain words. I felt very powerful. The umpire's not watching. The umpire let it go. BT even noticed it, and we know it's bad if (laughs) BT. <laughs> hey, um, last week we uh, you caught up with a really interesting chat it's about the round ball, Nicole. It's not about the um, oval ball, but we have a very interesting interview for you today. In late June, a bunch of female soccer players got together. They were from countries, 20 different countries all over the world, and they got together to play a game of soccer in the crater of Mount Kilimanjaro, all in the spirit of calling attention to the inequity of pay for girls and women in sport. That's part of the Equal Playing Field initiative. Alicia and I had the chance to speak to Captain and co-founder Laura Youngson about the experience. Welcome, Laura, to the Outer Sanctum. Hi. How are you? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Great you, to be here. Look, you must be pumped. But before we get on to the, the most awesome thing that you did, tell us about the Equal Playing Field and how it came about. 
Yeah, so um, I was like a lot of your listeners, sort of sitting at home complaining at the TV, like, oh, it's really unfair. And instead of just sort of leaving it there, I thought, oh, I should do something about this. Well, what can we do? Well, you know, it would be great to have a game of soccer at the top of Kilimanjaro. Let's go have a kickabout. Um, and it kind of, it's really evolved from there. So we started with a bunch of mates that thought, yeah, let's go and do something challenging and you know, something that's never been done before with a bunch of women. And it quickly evolved into much more than that um, with everyone bringing their stories of the discrimination they'd faced in soccer around the world and then adding their weight to the project. So now it's become this really incredible global movement. You could have done a local chicken raffle or, uh, you know, a fun run or something. Why, you know, Why almost the, the, the top of, of the Was world? There alcohol involved? Uh, there might have been in the initial decision making, but uh, soon after, well, we thought, you know, what's something that actually will inspire young girls and think, oh, yeah, that was a real challenge and you cannot refute playing uh, at the top of a mountain and breaking a world record as, as a as a statement for gender equality. So, yeah. What are the logistics involved in putting something like this together? I just can't even imagine. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, um, let alone sort of all the Skype calls between the different time zones. So speaking to LA and then London and Dubai and, and Melbourne here, I'm always a bit ahead of everyone else. Um, so just getting everything from the kit through to the goals, um, that's a whole story in itself of how you get goals to the top of Kilimanjaro. <laughs> um, getting all the safety and the regulations, the doctors, um, referees, so just absolutely crazy pulling it all together. What was it like playing actually on the mountain? I mean, I imagine it would be really, really different, air altitude, all those sorts of things. Was there a lot of different preparation involved? Yeah, so we did a lot of training in advance to make sure that we were physically fit, but actually altitude sickness, it's just, it can affect anyone. So um, actually the hardest part of the day was we had this, so we got woken up at 2am and we had a five hour climb to the summit where you, you climb a thousand metres vertically. And we got to the, well, just below the summit actually, and we got there and by that point, you're like, oh, I've done the hard bit. And actually, the game was easy. So, um, yeah, by the time we got up to the top of the mountain, it was like, oh, well, yeah, let's go play 90 minutes. It's like dealing with the peak hour traffic, you know, getting to the game. Yeah. That's the hard bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But what prep? I mean, now yeah. you can't complain about, you know, doing a couple of laps before a game. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. I actually, I play futsal in uh, Northcote with my team, the Galars. And the last week I was there and I was sort of just jogging away at the end. Like, oh, well, this high altitude training's done really well. So, um, yeah, all the team did a lot. So as well as just playing regularly, so we asked everyone to make sure they play at least one game a week in one training. We actually got people doing weights so you can carry a backpack. Um, lots of stair climbs, squats, lunges, all of that kind of stuff. Some of the um, you had some pretty high profile players from around the world um, involved in it. Can you tell us some of those people who was involved? Yeah, I mean it was pretty crazy when we started playing the practice game and I'm sort of lining up and there's Laurie Lindsay from the US who's a, a Olympic champion, world champion. I'm like, oh yeah, pulled together quite a cool team. So <laughs> yeah, she was there. And we've got uh, Sasha who played uh, for Canada and we've got. Hanin and Yasmin, who play for the Jordanian national team. Rachel Unit, who's wow. ex-England player. So absolutely fantastic to line up with these these players and get to play with and against them. Looking in your background, it doesn't surprise me that you put on something like this. You've got a Masters of Entrepreneurship from Melbourne University. 
what was that like? Did this prepare you in any way for something so big? Yeah, so I'm actually halfway through it. Um, I've done one of the semesters. I've got one more to go. But actually, the the mindset that you need to to create a startup is kind of similar to what you need to get an initiative off the ground. And actually, you start with very few resources and very few people believe in what you're doing, and you have to convince them and then kind of make it happen. And um, so all of those skills have been absolutely fantastic to to kind of push this project forward. So you, you've um, equal playing fields now. Broken a Guinness Book World Records, is that yeah, right? that's yeah. right. So we've got the, the highest altitude uh, soccer match ever played. Right, gosh. And you, you know, you've played on Kilimanjaro. It's pretty, pretty hard to top that. What, what's next for you guys? In <laughs> Everest Space Camp. Yeah, yeah really. Oh, actually, that's lower, so we can't go there. Oh, oh so it's yeah, space. That's, that's out. Really yeah, it. pretty much. So we'll actually, we've got a couple of ideas. I think there's a lot of support for going to play in Jordan and play the lowest altitude match, but obviously that's a bit easier to get to. Um, and then I heard that there's a, a group of guys that are going to break the record at Kilimanjaro in October, so that leaves the door open for another... Uh, just been googling volcanoes in Chile, you know, just in case. <laughs> and do you think something like this has had a positive impact? Can you measure it anyway? I think one of the things we've been trying to do is look out at kind of what has changed. And I don't know if you saw, but last week Lewis FC in the UK became the first football club to pay uh, soccer club to pay their women the same as men. Wow. And for us, that's kind of, I think it's just the perfect time to be talking about all this stuff because it, we're so bored of the conversation. We want to move on. We want to just be able to play and enjoy ourselves and get get the respect that you need. At the moment, the women's Euros are going on in Europe and that's had such an incredible impact of showing these players, showing the skill level um, and the respect for the players as well. So I think it's a great time to be talking about it. And I think for us, it's to keep the pressure on and look at the opportunities, um, highlight all the good things that are happening around the world as well and try and get more investment into the game. How lovely was Laura? What a beautiful ambassador for the game that she loves. And I love how she's using football as a vehicle for change. Yeah, she's great. Um, We're going to talk about the round ball and I'm going to call it football as a mark of respect. But if there was ever someone who embodied the spirit of the outer sanctum, it's this man. Les Murray, who um, was the voice of football, and he passed away earlier this week, which was just really sad. Mm. The reason I think that he embodies the spirit of the outer sanctum is that he arrived in Australia as an 11-year-old, a refugee on a boat who escaped hungry with his family with the help of a people smuggler. And he talked about how about 12 years later he was at a Socceroos game at a World Cup qualifier and said that it was at that moment that he felt truly Australian, that it was Mm. in watching that game with a bunch of other people that he felt a sense of belonging that he'd found very difficult to find in those first, you know, that decade or so of being here. Um, He went on to become a passionate advocate for the game that he loved. And one of the things that he said, and I'm quoting Craig Foster here, is that He said to Australia, this is the global game. You need to understand it. This is how we relate to the world. And without it, we're diminished. And I loved that. I loved that he he could see that um, through football, we could learn about the world. He always wore his love for the game on his sleeve. He always found the joy in it. And he understood the power that sport has to unite and to shine a light on our commonality. In later years, he really used his voice to add humanity, authenticity and honesty into the debate about asylum seekers, um, which is something that I think has been sadly lacking in this country. 
So he was a voice, you know, for me, he was a voice of, a ge- of football for a generation. And he's going to be so, so missed. Yeah. yeah well said, is. Lucy. <sighs> he makes me think of Brian Barish, who is a, you know, when you think about um, someone being a, a patron of, of the round an ball advocate, game and yeah. an advocate of the round ball game here, that's as much of a challenge as, say, Brian Barish, who is a total advocate for AFL, but in the States. And I always think it's interesting when someone has that passion for a game outside of what is the, you know, probably what is the stronghold or mm-hmm. I mean I know that I know that the round ball game is really well respected and loved here and mm-hmm. I'm not going to start it took a, code, a while a code war exactly mm-hmm. um but Brian Barris is in town at the moment because it's the international cup in um, it is and it kicks off this weekend in in Melbourne so there's 18 men's and seven women's teams are here from countries from all over the place North America Europe Africa the Middle East the International Cup's played every three years and one of the rules is that no expatriate Australians are eligible to play. Awesome. Um, so the teams are comprised solely of amateurs. In 2014, the men from Papua New Guinea won their IC and the women from Canada won theirs. So they'll be the defending champs. So there's some really great information. If you want to get along to some of these games in Melbourne over the next two weeks, you can go to aflic17.com.au or follow them on all of the different socials. Brian Barish is going to pop into Kick and Coffee, which is this Sunday for anyone in Melbourne who's registered to come. We've already we've sold out, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> it's at Prin- Princess Park in Carlton. And we um, managed to procure that venue because Nicole and I went to meet with the CEO of Carlton, Stephen Trigg, and at the end of the interview, Nicole elbowed me and she goes, ask him if we can have kick and coffee here. It's <laughs> like, because I'm a sook. <laughs> my gosh, more front than Maya us. Like we just walk in and ask for what we want. But one thing that I'll say about Stephen Trigg is, have you noticed when you talk to people about AFLW, especially people who are really, really deep into AFLM, like some players, when you speak to them and you say, did you watch any of the women's games? They're like, nah, nah, nah. But, or they say, oh yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Women playing or yeah, whatever. I really when, wanted to. Yeah, the I really wanted one. to. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I know what a few was, but when you speak to people from deep inside AFLM who really got AFLW, what you see is a real glint in their eye of people who felt the magic of it. And Stephen Trigg really stands mm-hmm. apart. He's one of those people. He's a CEO of Carlton. He's a male champion of change, which is what we wanted to speak to him about. But I didn't expect what he would say about the impact of having women come to Carlton has been. He kind of says that it's a culmination of it's the last piece of the puzzle to create their family, to make Mm. their family whole at Carlton. I think you'll really enjoy his interview. We are here because we really want to talk to you about male champions of change. We hear a lot of chat about it. And it's like a secret men's club. <laughs> what happens in these meetings? Why are you a male champion of change, Stephen Trigg? There's a certain irony about that, isn't it, to be described as a secret men's club? Because actually, it's there's nothing secret about it at all. It's, um, it's a group of business leaders, and in my case, elite sport leaders, who are committed to trying to make a difference, and we think we've got the roles to be able to do so. And our ability to be able to use our, our influence through our workplaces in terms of the development of women, training and development, pay in industries some, some some industries have been the last bastions of 
male dominance, um, we, we, we believe that we can make a change. And so I've really enjoyed the, the, the short time that I've been involved in it. There's a really, really good group of people. They shoot no secret men's business. It's, um, <laughs> it's, all, uh, it's all out there in terms of us trying to make, make a difference. The cornerstone of it is to, for men to be stepping up alongside women and mm. understanding that it's not just a female fight for equality. Mm. So after you've been involved in these meetings and, and exchanges of intellectual property and how people run their other businesses... Has it changed any of your perceptions when you've come back into this workplace? A little, and, and indeed, when you immerse yourself in this sort of program, for want of a better term or approach, one of the first things is, you know, how am I behaving? How am I perceived? How are my behaviours um, being seen and heard? And it took, um, oh, I was going to say a little audit, but let's call it uh, a moment of introspection where a number of staff uh, provided me with some, some honest feedback about my, my behaviours and my leadership in this space. More broadly, we've been really strong in the last couple of years uh, from a club perspective about our capacity to grow hinges largely on inclusion and equality. So what we do in terms of right from the composition of our board and executive and staff through to the programs that we run, the leadership positions that we take on various issues, you do you go right back to having a look at all of those things. It's really good for me personally. I know it's it's a super positive for our club to be involved because, as hopefully everyone's seen, is that we've been really clear in articulating what Carlton needs to do to be a better club and to grow. It always hinges in significant part on the performance of your team, but for us, win, lose or draw, it's on, um, on being leaders in equality and inclusion. And I know that over the last couple of years, some of the, the measurables that would indicate our progress have been really positive. So... Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're on the move with it, and um, the Male Champions has just helped me sharpen my focus about me as much as anything else. In terms of on the ground for the uh, inclusiveness, amongst the playing group, you've got a women's team. How is that incorporated into what you're doing and how you kind of make this move, this change actually work? Well, the women's team for us hasn't been the catalyst for this, but it was really the acquisition of the licence was extraordinarily helpful in almost in making a point, helping us to get near where we want to go to with, with our leadership in this space. So what, what's it meant for us? It, it, there's a really intangible part and a quite tangible part. The intangible part is, and it sounds like a bit of motherhood here, but it actually makes us feel like, a, and everyone says this, a more complete club, a more rounded, complete club. So it's a palpable sense of inclusion of a women's team that, um, frankly, you stop and you think, how come this didn't happen 50 years ago or what it happened many years ago so the more tangible part is you know the number of young women and girls who are now wearing a Carlton Guernsey has grown the numbers at our games of women and girls have grown the families surrounding our, our men's team get it and so there's just a whole range of tangible outcomes as well as the intangible that's um, made it a great thing for us to have a women's women's license we would love to have won the premiership in the first year, <laughs> but, but uh, it was a positive on a lot of Having fronts. Having a lockout game isn't too bad, though. That exactly. was, a great, start. was yeah. a great start. I've noticed a lot of the women who have played for Carlton are still working around the club mm. in this time when, when the women's league isn't mm. on. Is that something that you have um, instigated because this is talent you don't want to lose, or is it because there was opportunity there and you just could see the fit, they're good Carlton people? Is it that you need Darcy Vessio's humour in the lunchroom? Yeah, it's all of that. Yeah, she's, she's, she's fantastic. <laughs> we love her. Well, we do too. Um, so there are currently three of our AFL women's team 
who are uh, on staff. I can absolutely be clear on this. It's not because they're in our AFL women's team in, in terms of some sort of uh, way for us to recruit them or, or get them. It's because they bring a skill set and it ties in beautifully with what we're doing. We had openings in Darcy's case in design, uh, in Embree's case, for example, in, uh, in community. So we've got openings, they bring skill set, and it helps to integrate them further into our footy club. So it's all, all positive. Will we see Carlton taking up the mantle of this, of, we call it Princess Park now, after the lockout? Princess Park become <laughs> the home of women's footy. Is that something that keeps you awake at night? We believe it's already the home of AFL women's. That uh, image over your shoulder there, which shows the first contest history made, which is, for those listening, is the bounce of the ball on that night in February earlier this year when we had a lockout and one of the most remarkable nights that certainly I've ever been involved in in sport and in footy. So we feel as though that night changed a lot of perceptions about our club, but also about this venue, that we had some ensuing games that were shifted here, started to embed it as the home of AFL women's. We've now got some clubs that are bid for a licence in 2019 that are suggesting they would like to play their home games here. And we need a boutique stadium in in this state that, you know, twenty to 25,000 people can hold those sorts of games, as well as VFL fixtures, etc. It's got the capacity, it's got the location, it's got the access. What we do need, though, is, is some renewal in terms of making them elite facilities for women. Mm-hmm. The participation growth in AFL women's and girls is just phenomenal at 20%. Hundreds of new teams around the country every year and so forth, but facilities-wise, we've, we've got an issue. The game's going quicker than the facilities can handle and is the simplicity. Our plan is to is to integrate that into a master plan here. Now, we've been talking about a master plan for a little while and some of our people will say, oh, long time coming, mate. When this becomes quickly apparent that it's a... Can, can and should be the home of AFL women's. We just need to recheck what we're, you know, what the componentry looks like. So we're still working on that. But there's a willingness for it to be the home from everyone. <laughs> we just need to need to find a way to work with the stakeholders to get mm. it to happen. That's important because you've got shade. It's a summer sport. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's one that's thing you guys one. have got. That is a big that's right. Yeah, 70% undercover, which is good. Do you think we can go top next year in the women's? We've, we've I think you should have well. won it. You've I think you should have been well. granny. Recruitment for this next phase is... Second to none. We've been really disciplined about going to the draft, accumulating picks, yep. developing the depth of talent through through youth. Stephen Trigg, after that interview with Nicole and I, we ended up sitting there and talking to him for a bit longer. And some of the other things that he said were amazing. He said he sees Lauren Arnell as making it as a coach, which was pretty yeah. amazing. We talked about her character and how amazing she is. And also... Um, we were talking about Darcy Bessio and he was like, yeah, she's an absolute superstar. He thinks, you know, across the all of the players that he looks after, he thinks that she's a complete superstar. We talked to him a bit about Carlton Respects as well, which is about stamping out family violence and violence against women. And I, I thought he was really interesting and I think he's got a really progressive mind. I thought he was great. So great. thank you very much to Stephen Trigg and Carlton and thank you so much for having us this Sunday at Princess Park where we're looking forward to seeing you all and just wanted to say we will be filming and getting some audio for the podcast there so if you're in witness protection and you don't want us to capture you know your image make okay, sure you let us know <laughs> um this what you're holding a book in your hand there nicole i am often holding a book in my hand but this one is a new book it's the women's footy almanac 2017 put together edited by stephanie connell 
John Harms and Yvette Roby, and it's a blow-by-blow account of the AFLW season one game at a time. I love it because I've only had a dip into it. I haven't had a proper read yet, but um, it puts it in the context of the, the political and social change that that sort of was heralded by the this amazing competition, personal experiences as well as the actual footy that was going on. So get out there. It's available everywhere now. The Women's Footy Almanac, I'm sure it's easy enough to find. We'll put a link up on the... I see your girl, Sabrina, is on the front cover. Seb, my mate. Seb, yeah, to mate, her friends. So is that what yeah. you call her? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's, a, it's a gorgeous illustration, actually. I don't know who did it. I'll check that out. But um, it's a really nice book. Get out and get behind it. it re- it's wait. nice to see those things happening in the mm. space of women's footy as well. This week, Lucy, your boy is um, playing a big one. Yeah, so happy 250th to Ruffy. And just echoing what you said earlier today, Emma, I, I often find the same thing, you know, when people, when I tell them how much I love Jared Ruffhead and they want to kind of make The dog it, or the man? The man, mm-hmm. Ruffy the man. They want to bring something else into it that isn't there. And I love him in the same way that so many other people just love their sports heroes. And I think for me, from the time he started playing, there was something about him that he just seemed like one of those really honest, hardworking footballers, you know, someone who just always did the right thing, wasn't about flash or, you know, getting the glory. He just, he did what needed to be done. I've always loved his agility, but I think the thing that I've grown to kind of know about him is that he gives a lot of shit. (laughs) <laughs> and that's something I value very highly. Yes, so um, would have been really happy just to see you come back for one game, but to see him come back as a captain, plays 250th, suffice to say I will not be going to the toilet. I will be sitting there and watching everything so I don't miss him kicking a goal. Go rough. That's amazing. Go it? rough. Yes. Alita. I just wanted to say on a tense weekend of amazing football, I mean, that Collingwood-Adelaide game oh, just God. killed yeah. me. The Saints, I was crying. Oh, that was amazing. I, I mean, it was just an intense game. Um, I just wanted to shout out to the Matildas who smashed Japan. I love the way they smashed 4-2 to two in San Diego. And uh, that backflip that Sam Kerr did <laughs> was just incredible. And they're just they're superstars. just superstars and I can't uh, I just love watching them. But Felicity, you worked out that uh, Sam Kerr was related to someone. She's um the sister of Daniel Kerr. Uh, so is. there's a football connection. So yeah. somehow we tied the round ball to the That's right. the one with the handle. <laughs> we use the handle to tie well them to each other. I just want to also give you the update. I went to AFL House last week to help Hawthorne pitch their AFLW license for one. It went well, I suppose I was nervous for the entirety of the time and the boardroom table at AFL House is huge, uh, absolutely massive, but we'll find out which teams are going to get licences the 29th of August. So put that in your diary. And thank you to the Box Hill Hawks at Hawthorne who had us this week. They gave us one jumper. Six head holes. <laughs> <laughs> they also gave us six jumpers. They gave us... We, we came out with so no many jumpers. Yeah, we, <laughs> so amazing. many jumpers. But thank you. Those girls were fantastic. They're going to be at Kick and Coffee this weekend to help us with, them. Um, for the balls with handles and without handles. So Good luck Saturday to too, girls. Yeah. So um, I think that's it. Is there, we're going to need more... Any last business? Kate, see you always yeah, have something. I do. <laughs> I do. Always. I want to... Set the scene. Yeah. I just want to encourage... <laughs> um, Long run up. Come on. <laughs> I just want to encourage our listeners to work on the one percenters this weekend. <laughs> Good call. You know, which, with their long legs. Which water you buy from the fridge, whose mm-hmm. name is on it, mm-hmm. which toilet. way your scarf yeah. is tied, all of those superstitions which are integral to your club winning. And as the season's very tight, mm. fans, 
one percenters from the fans are increasingly crucial. And we got a couple of one percenters um, during the week. We noticed we got a couple of new reviews. We thank you so much oh, from yeah. the yes, deepest please. pits of our souls because I'm in a reviews war with my husband who also has a footy podcast oh. and he's kicking out podcast schmodcast. So, yeah, oh, come no. on, people. So come on, people. Come on. Let Help me at out. least win one at home, could you? Review us on <laughs> iTunes today. Tell your favourite misogynist. You know, make sure you get in early. Make sure that there's a standing and you're saying which which footy shows you kind of like before Eddie comes back with the big one next week. You know, vote with your fingers. Vote with your eyes. <laughs> and your vote ears. with your ears. Which I'm long, talking now. Vote, no, vote no with no your long leg. Vote yeah. with your long exactly. leg. We'll see you next week. Go footy. Thanks for joining us. Bye. See ya. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.